gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 43, the review segment for Friday, October 10th, 2014. Today we're reviewing two different movies that have been making the festival circuit this fall, and in one case since Sundance, uh, and are in theaters this weekend. It's St. Vincent and Whiplash. We have, I am imagining vastly different things to say about both of them. Although, David, you have only seen Whiplash, correct? Uh, that is correct. Okay, so I wanted to talk, I wanted to start with St. Vincent. For no reason other than that, I feel like it is the worst of the two. We can get it out of the way quicker. It definitely is the worst of the two. Yeah, Patches and I are the only ones who have seen it. Uh, It premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, and then there were kind of... So I wasn't at Toronto, and I was kind of watching all of this from afar, and there were a couple people who were like, this could be Bill Murray's Oscar movie. And then I saw this movie, and I thought, what the fuck is everybody talking about? Yeah, there are people who adore this movie, who think it's really adore it? Like, really? Like, I thought people were just kind of cynically saying it could be a Bill Murray Oscar chase. Like, people thought it was good. I think they want it to be Bill Murray's Oscar because everyone wants Bill Murray to win an Oscar. Everyone wants sure. him to win an Oscar for showing up at weddings for the last year. Not I mean, really are there not movie. Oscars for that? <laughs> they, and it's, it's the special ones that are on the night before, actually. <laughs> um, but no, this movie ends up being horrible because it's so conventional. And it's so sappy. I don't know. It's funny because I've been hearing about St. Vincent for like my lifetime. It feels what? like because the script really? was on the blacklist and – I think Deadline really went to bat for this movie to kind of get like weird reportery inside baseball about this. But they just reported this all over the place. They couldn't wait for St. Vincent to manifest finally. Uh, so there was a lot of buzz around this movie. And of course, Bill Murray not having an agent and signing on to this first time filmmaker's movie. This is a big deal, right? And um, that is not that is not the case. This is a pretty conventional um, grouchy guy in in Brooklyn uh, learns about his life and learns to be a better person because of a kid who needs help, who's a wimp. Like I feel because like I've his seen this mom is a times. single mom, and single moms, as we all know, can't raise their kids. Yeah. What What are the more specifics of this plot that we need? Okay. To know? So yeah, I mean, Melissa McCarthy is a single mom. She moves in next door to Bill Murray in uh, Sheepshead Bay in Brooklyn. Although I believe the script was was originally called Saint Vincent of Van Nuys. <laughs> yes, it was, but it was which moved is to Sheepshead Bay. Hilarious! Like Saint Vincent of Sheepshead Bay. Thought about yeah. watch that movie. Yeah, like how much less specific could you get that you were? There was, was already a Saint LA. Vincent there in yeah in, in Van Nuys, so they <laughs> yeah. had to move it. So Melissa McCarthy and her kid, who's you know what, ten, fifth grade? That sounds about right, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they move in next door to Bill Murray, who is this cranky old man who you know gets drunk and comes home from the bar and he runs over gambles. his gambles. And he yeah, he goes he has ties to, to the mob. He has sex with hookers. Yeah, Terrence Howard plays the guy with the ties. Nope, to mom, I'm is- done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I knew I'd Pretty find a much. point where David would give up on this. Um, and then the kid winds up hanging out at Bill Murray's house because he has nowhere else to go after school, and they develop an unconventional friendship. And anytime there's a montage of and you know an older man running around with a kid and rediscovering his vitality, I have to think of me and Julio down by the schoolyard from the Royal Tenenbaums. And nothing is as good as that one montage because there most is a of these scene that are terrible. That Wes Anderson moment instead of writing. Are they writing go-karts in Royal Tenenbaums? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Royal. In this movie, Bill Murray and the kid are riding in, I think they're riding in wheelchairs down a hospital. 
Oh yeah, exactly. Like alert. all the framing is exactly the same with the the montage and the and the song. It's all evoking Wes Anderson, but there's absolutely no style to this movie. This guy Theodore Melfi, who wrote and directed this film, um, I mean, it, he's he's aiming for Hollywood here. I feel like, but a Hollywood that doesn't exist anymore. I, I made a joke that for a Hollywood that, does, that doesn't need to exist. Like yeah. I, don't, I don't miss that Hollywood. He he will be directing Adam Sandler Netflix movies in the years to come, is my guess. But um, what 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 does this movie have going for it? Is there anything that okay. uh, stands out here? Because well, there are people that, who are going to bat for Bill Murray. Saying, it has this that is, last scene, big... which I've seen because it's on the internet. And you can watch it for free. It's not even in. <laughs> that's not even a movie. That's oh. not a scene for the movie. It's just the end credits. Him singing along to Bob Dylan. That is the best part of the movie and it has and nothing to do with anything. And it infuriates me because if you're going to end your movie with Shelter from the Storm, you have to at least acknowledge that Jerry Maguire got there first and wow. better. And I don't yeah, say that I often. Give you shelter. Shelter from the Storm. No, that's, that's on. now the best part that's, of the podcast. No. That's, 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 that's all right, actually, David. That sounds pretty good. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, that is just kind of an example of how idea bankrupt this movie is where it kind of is just recycling and it has the thing where the kid makes a speech at the big school assembly which is kind of on one of the many reasons crazy stupid love kind of falls apart like it's such a relied on thing and it just doesn't seem aware that what it's doing is so tired and really beneath someone like bill murray who i think is good enough in this i mean it there's not a lot for him to work with i think he's laugh. yeah he's like giving something to a character that doesn't deserve it which i think is proof that Actors aren't really that great a judge of screenplays a lot of the time. It's the only reason I can think of that he signed on. But to like it. his level of grimy, gross, asshole behavior is oh, come over to my house for dinner where I'm serving salmon. Here are fish sticks. Or, you know, he doesn't there's no danger to this movie. I feel like there's room for St. Vincent or this disgusting man and wimpy child learning from each other how street smarts, uh, emotional smarts kind of symbiotic relationship there's room for this movie still uh in the landscape but it has to push in one direction really far it has to be about one of the people in the movies it can't just have the kind of float between all of them and this movie you know you wish bill murray could be in real trouble like you mentioned there's a thread with terrence howard where he's collecting gambling money from the the racetracks uh and he wants his debt paid uh, and and it falls apart. It has absolutely nothing to do with the movie except for creating danger in that one specific scene where he shows up. It just drops off the face of the earth. It doesn't matter anymore. It's just to get us to the next emotional beat where Bill Murray has to go to, like, rehab or something at the hospital. And the kid has to come help him and be emotional about that. Um, it's all very manipulative. And the people who really succeed in this movie are the supporting cast, like uh, Naomi Watts as this stripper hooker type who, uh, who's pregnant for With some With a Russian accent that yeah. for no good reason. Um, so she she's f- at least really funny in the movie. She I is think. funny. I, um, yeah, I, I liked her fine, even though her character was dumb and made no sense. But Melissa McCarthy is the best part of this movie. She's not super funny. She's not doing her shtick. She's just being a great human character in a romp and and you need her and the movie needs more of her because she's a single mom trying to make everything work and she's not perfect she's not you know a hollywood single mom that seems to have everything figured out and is beautiful and there's really the 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 suggestion that they need help is there this woman is struggling um but she's living in a real world while bill murray and the kid are like just having fun in sitcom scenarios that are revolving around her, and and the movie does not care about her. Theodore Melfi's script sidelines her until. But, we yeah, meet. but it also drove me cra- drove me crazy the way that Bill Murray kind of gives her shit, being like, "Well, you're not around enough for him," as if 
no single mothers are capable of taking good care of their kids. If I was a single mom and I saw this movie, I would be furious because it suggests that, that by the working movie scolds her for that. I mean, yeah, he I think, do that. I mean, I think it does. I think <laughs> the idea that she's not around enough for him is really supported, even though she's clearly like really going out of her way to get fewer hours at work. You know, she's not the typical movie parent who would rather be at work than with her kids. She's really trying and having a hard time because she's the sole breadwinner. And I think that's a really, it's a lose-lose situation that the movie has no sympathy for, which is crazy because it's about blue-collar people who are making these choices all the time. It just it seems to have no sense of what that life would really be like. Right, and the movie laughs at her. There's a scene where she goes to the school because her kid, Oliver, got in a fight because Bill Murray taught him to fight. Um, and Chris O'Dowd plays his teacher. And a I priest, of course, because he has an Irish accent. Yes. Yeah, he's the Irish uh, uh, Catholic priest or whatever. And they call him in, call Melissa McCarthy in. And they're like, is something going on at home? And she's like, so much. And they're all laughing at her. And it's played for a gag. And it's very strange because, no, there is a lot going on at home. And she can't deal with it. And gosh, somebody help this woman or make this movie about her struggle and watching Bill Murray kind of win over the kid when all she wants is for him to love him. Like this movie has absolutely nothing on its mind except playing into these tropes and praying that Bill Murray can pull comedy out of it. And he does occasionally. Yeah. I mean, uh, mowing the dirt lawn is, is funny. Yeah. I mean, I keep seeing the the ads for it on TV that are trying to sell this as a straight up comedy, which is a complete failure. Um, yeah, I don't like, I mean, I, I guess our lightning round question kind of applies to Bill Murray too. Like, when are we going to see this living legend, like make another movie that's worthy of him? Like, I mean, did you guys see Hyde Park on Hudson? Yeah, that was nice. What the about movie was horrendous. Well, I, I never saw Monuments Men. Well, I mean, but, no he, but he wasn't a lead in that, right? Like that wasn't on Bill Murray's shoulders. No, I don't think so. I mean, anyway, Bill Murray has been making a lot of terrible choices lately, which I guess is what you do when you want to golf and then you pick a movie that's well, easy to make in addition to your comfy life. I think these movies rely on him instead of tasking him with something, with playing a part. Certainly, St. Vincent does not do that. It's because we can sense it's a star vehicle, it's already working against it because we're expecting something from Bill Murray and the material can't live up to him. I don't know. It's not functioning in any way because it's it's really just serving Bill Murray instead of him stepping into the plate and doing something. Not a win. David, don't go see it. I'm going right now. David, I feel like you've been kind of a one-man army against the Whiplash hype since Sundance. Oh, I mean, not because of Whiplash. I just, I, I just reflexively general Sundance hate. Yeah, just any, <laughs> any any movie that wins both the audience and festival awards at Sundance, uh, I will, I will take the piss out of sight unseen. And then, of course, you know, as soon oh, as uh, as soon as the lights go down, it's it's anybody's game. But uh, and Whiplash is, you know leagues better than uh let's say precious or uh beast of the southern wild um which and are they're so movies. alike no <laughs> they won well no those are films that won both the audience That's true. And, uh, and dramatic awards so there are relevant, they are like, relevant statistic they yeah have. they yeah. are objects are thrown in both precious and Whiplash. Uh, right so but those do. two are complete garbage movies and i think whiplash is a lot more interesting um 
so I, I should I go ahead and set, set this, this up? Sure, do it. Sure. So Whiplash is the story of Miles Teller. Hold on, I'm gonna hop to IMDb. He has a character name. Andrew. Andrew. This is gonna Andrew. be fascinating. IMDb faster. IMDb's not, not cool. Andrew. Tempo. His name is Andrew. Not my not my tempo. Andrew. Andrew, uh, like so many of us, lives to play the jazz drums. It is his, his entire the life. Jazz drums. <laughs> this is uh, yeah. He's a drummer, but he's not. He's not a rock drummer. He's like a a classical jazz drummer. Uh, he worships at the altar of uh, what are the what Buddy are the guys? Rich. Buddy Rich. Buddy Rich. Uh, Katie Rich's uh, grandfather. My uncle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and and yeah, he's very much into the the golden age of jazz and that sort of thing. He enrolls in a Juilliard like uh, academy in Manhattan. Where he meets the tyrannical Fletcher, who's played by J.K. Simmons. The comparison has been made ad nauseum, but with good cause. That this is essentially the first half of Full Metal Jacket as a uh, as a music film, because they have this very abusive relationship. Where Fletcher uh, is quite violent towards Andrew, uh, but does so in his own very harsh form of tough love to test him to see if he has what it takes to get to, to sort of motivate him, let a fire under his ass, get him better because he believes that uh, trial by fire is really the only way to burn these talents out and, and to get them into the world because he lives to have a Charlie Parker of his own. He lives to have a protege who is worthy of the greats. Uh, and with every new student he has, he will do whatever it takes to, to see if they are going to be the one. Uh, and so it's essentially – and you can you can really after the rather phenomenal first scene in the movie, uh, you can really see pretty much exactly how things are going to play out um, as he begins to uh, the Andrew character begins to forsake social responsibilities. There's a girl that he meets uh, who works at a movie theater where he goes with his dad. Who's I believe it's Paul the Villages, right? Like that was at the Villages. Yeah, uh, maybe. Um, is that there? And uh, you know, he becomes more and more obsessed about doing this. Obsessed about. Uh, making it through his performances, their car crashes, he still plays after them, yada, yada, yada. Uh, really, this movie is, uh, is all about energy and percussive force. There is hardly an original thought in its head. I was never especially involved. Uh, the performances are incredibly one note, but uh, very, yeah. very <laughs> impassioned. That's my drums. Uh, you know, J.K. Simmons is, is a bald, you know, bruising uh, little furious man in this in this film and uh, it's easy to be intimidated by him and understand why Andrew would react the way that he does uh, he's essentially playing a, a calmer version of Miles Teller uh, my, uh, like the usual Miles Teller shtick uh, I just the last scene in this movie which has been justifiably praised to some extent ends really where the movie is only getting interesting it's at that point where mm. I think the, the movie's darker heart and and uh, I think a more honest take on things really comes to the fore uh, and, and ends on a high note. But uh, I, I – and I think Damien Chazelle, the child director of this movie uh, – He's younger a, than most of us. I think yeah, he's past his age. Has a bright future. Uh, this is based off a short that he made. And it's then not. It's not. not based on a short that he oh, made? Oh, yeah. Ah. Patches, explain to us. So he made a short film based on his feature script. So okay, right. Make Fair film. enough. So for funding, it is uh, – 
It is executive produced by Jason Reitman, uh, which uh, I think – Do nothing. Below the belt. Jason Reitman's uh, artistic output these days is bad enough that oh. you should understand, like Guillermo del Toro, the toxic touch that oh he puts on God. this. Uh, just to put you in the right frame of mind. Wow. Inappropriate. No, that, I, I, I say that Throwing is people Miles, uh, But I will say, before I turn it over to you guys, uh, that Miles Teller and Damien Chazelle together have faked his – drumming prowess so believably that I am sure he he prepared as much as he could. Uh, he is obviously not a, uh, a, a drumming prodigy and they try to pass him off as being, but the illusion that he is this exceptionally skilled drummer is absolutely airtight. And uh, I, I will, it's, it's critical to the movie because if you don't believe what he's doing uh, and it's a very physically intense act that really it can't so easily be faked. The whole movie would fall apart. And so I I'm was deeply impressed by how they did that. Okay. I want to go before Patches does because I'm more in agreement with David, I think, because I, I do think there are a lot of weaknesses in the story. I, I thought it was also based on a short. I think that's a commonly uh, perceived idea that is incorrect. <clears throat> but it did feel like it was 15 minutes of story stretch over to 90 minutes. And it, it, this elemental struggle between J.K. Simmons and Miles Teller that is really makes up the basis of that final scene that really uh, leaves people walking out of that audience kind of on a high. Like, I remember at Sundance watching from a distance people reacting to the movie and walking out of the movie and feeling so excited about it. And having seen it, I totally understand it ends on this amazing note. And that's because it has really boiled down what it's about by then. But there's a lot of stuff in the middle of it that feels like it's setting up pieces for a story that doesn't really need to be there because all you need is these two guys in the rehearsal room, you know, shouting at each other and sweating and bleeding over these drums. And it's very, I mean, it's kind of overboiled. It's like Black Swan in a way where it's about people sacrificing themselves for them for their art in a way that, I mean, maybe it's, it doesn't make sense to those of us who wouldn't sacrifice everything for art or maybe it's overboiled. It's kind of hard for me to say having not gone to Juilliard or anything like that, but I think that stuff really works. I think it really creates a mood of its own. And anytime it tries to venture into more traditional storytelling where it has Paul Reiser as the dad or this girlfriend, it really feels very false. And especially compared to the way the photography works and the sound works. And like David said, the way they pretend Miles Teller is this drum prodigy. Like there's really incredible stuff going on with the filmmaking that I was disappointed when the story couldn't quite keep up. And it felt like it was just trying to fill space when there was so much good stuff going on that did need to be illustrated in a way. So I think J.K. Simmons is amazing, and I'll be 100% behind his supporting actor Oscar campaign that will be totally fraudulent because he's a lead actor, but whatever. All, he just doesn't, work. Did you agree with what I was saying, that he doesn't really – there isn't all that much dynamism to his performance. It's like it's like soft uh, – you know, J.K. Simmons? Yeah, like tiger in waiting and then just ferocious. And no. It's I, so clear, I, the psychology. I just don't really think that there's much to inhabit in that character. I have had music teachers like that. I have I, too. Uh, well, but yeah. and, and, and I believe him in the movie – but I just don't think that there's like a dexterity to the performance that really knocks my socks off. No, because I feel like the the idea of the tiger in waiting, like he pulls it off to a point that at least I, who's not very good at seeing plot twists coming, like I watch him being like, okay, what does he have up his sleeve? Like, yeah, what he doesn't preempt himself. You're not like yeah. anticipating it, that. Even if you know it's coming, even if it all seems, you know, laid out there ahead of time, if you can predict this movie, I don't feel the emotion rushing. And I, and I feel like the screenplay, and Patches, you can tell me I'm wrong about this, I feel like the screenplay gives it away more. Like, it, it kind of tips its hand about what's going on more than any of the performances are willing to do, which is part of my frustration with it. Um, but I feel like J.K. Simmons and Miles Teller, to his own degree as well, do a really good job of not tipping that kind of hand. And I appreciated that about them. I, 
you know, I, I think it's hard not to walk out of this movie wondering what its relationship to the music that it is dissecting or exploring would be. And I think of uh, the way David and you both put it, that this seems to be kind of a by-the-books movie. For me, it's a sports movie for band geeks, right? Yeah, definitely. Just kind of like Rocky. In the or, or a war movie. Like Full Metal Jacket, like David said. See, I think I don't think it's really like Full Metal Jacket. Maybe the personas. It's just like the that. dynamic between the two characters. Yeah, for me, it's and more that... of a sports movie, and then shot like an action movie. This, I mean, I think Damien Chazelle will be making Transformers movies probably one day. Oh but, Jesus uh, Christ! Why would you slick. doom him to that? <laughs> I would not. I don't want to commit him to that. I'm just saying the likelihood in the environment that we're in. It's very possible he could make a Fast and the Furious. Um, but it's shot like an action movie and, you know, the, the photography could be kind of crazy and jazzy and like Clint Eastwood doing bird or something, um, and be all over the place in that way. But for me, I feel like the, the script ends up being really jazzy. Like we're taking a standard, right? A song we've heard a thousand times and yet in the hands of certain musicians, it can still be enthralling. It can still be energetic. And you're right. It's all about the momentum and these two, uh, authors of the song are going to put their stamp on it. And that's what Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons are doing here, taking something really obvious and something we recognize and distracting us or, or sweeping us up in the energy of their performances. Um, I got lost in this movie. I, I And obviously, I'm, a, I'm a, probably a sucker for music movies and that kind of relationship. As I, as I said, I feel like I have music teachers like this before in my past. Um, but I... I I don't know, I ate this up, and I don't really feel like the middle bits of drama where he goes off and has this troubled relationship with his girlfriend and can't make nice with his parents or no one understands what his artistic pursuits are about and why, and no one can really help him when he starts nearing obsession and going crazy. All of that stuff really works for me because it's part of the jazziness of this script, of how bold it can get and how loud it needs to get at certain times and how it draws itself back in you know, into the rehearsal room where he's testing, where he's putting the pressure on himself. You know, J.K. Simmons isn't even in the room and he's practicing and he goes, he's going crazy or he starts getting really angry at the, um, is it, I guess it's the first chair. There's this kid who is playing in the band that he's playing in before Miles Teller steps up and kind of outdoes him. This weird competitive nature, this pressurized room, and you feel it throughout from beginning to end. And I think Damien Chazelle really compliments it with this gliding camera work and these, this these glowing golds and deep blacks of the cinematography. I think the inside mm-hmm. of this Juilliard S school is so beautiful and translates outside to New York, um, where things are a bit more realistic. And I, I think you know it's not realistic. Very heightened. And you know it's not realistic. What the fact that first of all, it, it's like a fake school. It should be Juilliard. Whatever. I'll let that slide. But Juilliard uh, wasn't going to let that happen. It, Come it, on. You can't. You can't. You just can't. And this is something that somebody else pointed out to me with a, a passion that eclipses my own on this point. You cannot set the climax of your movie in Carnegie Hall, which is completely inimitable, and then shoot it in yes, not Carnegie can. Hall. Yes, no. Yeah. no one else knows. No, that's not true. That's, BS. that's not true. Every I mean snotty it, New Yorker right here. Good thought is, grand. Well, but there's it, also like I mean it's in the not, you know what? It's not emblematic of other problems with the movie. Uh, it is, a, is problem a nitpick. Contain, it's this a, is what nitpick, we call a nitpick. But but it pissed me off in a way that uh, the movie stuff almost never pisses me off. I was just like, come on, just call it not Carnegie Hall. But I have have some problems. No money. (laughs) 
so I don't set it in front of me. I have that of things that felt. I mean, like first of all, in that scene, there's also like smoke on the stage from also, like at, when they're playing, which doesn't make any sense. And then, wait. I mean, I don't want to get into spoilers for this, but there are things in the story and the way that the plot fits together that just didn't feel right to me. Are you me. sure and it that, wasn't in Carnegie Hall? Are you sure it wasn't the yes, basement? Yes. Because it's not the main theater of yes. Carnegie Hall, but there's multiple I, sections the, of Carnegie Hall that the are person, smaller theaters. The person reporting to me asked the director this in conversation, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, whatever." Yes, I argue with this. This is that is. Worse than a nitpick. That is a, a factual error on your part. This but I think terrible. And you should this feel bad. This movie is not terrible. This movie is not terrible. not terrible. This movie is not terrible. But I do. I mean, I do think it has flaws. But I, I know in some ways. I mean, it's his second feature. And it, did you guys see Guy? Did you guys see Guy and Madeline? Made another feature. Yeah, yeah. It was at Tribeca in two thousand. What's it called again? You were saying it, but Guy and Madeline on a park bench, and it's a musical, and it's shaggy, and it's shot on film, and it's you know awkward in some ways, and it's been many years since I saw it. So forgive me if I'm describing it inaccurately. But it's got a similar kind of energy and like a boldness for being like yeah i'm 24 and i'm gonna make this musical of people you know dancing on the tables at a restaurant where they're waiting tables um so i admire this guy and i admire his chutzpah and his talent and, and oh, what, clearly what, is, his, what do you admire yeah. oh yeah yeah i'm a, I'm a jew now didn't you hear oh, that's great but let me let me ask you don't you think that some of this like um kind of mellow the mellower moments the moments that aren't working for you in the middle of the movie are kind of an extension of the singular scene in the center of this movie, which is uh, J.K. Simmons grilling Miles Teller till his hands bleed, saying, not quite my tempo, and he wants him to get this piece right. And he keeps saying, you're rushing in this set, your section. You're dragging now. You're dragging. You're rushing. You're rushing. Not my tempo. Not my tempo. That's the whole movie, right? I mean, yeah. it has to kind of drag at some point so that it can propel forward, so that, you know, Miles Teller can and can physically crash into things, have to get yes. back up and it go It definitely to has thing. to it's get crazy. slower, but it, it doesn't have to feel false. And it was, yeah, it, I, I, it was like, it can, it can slow down, but the conversations that people need to be having... It, it grows the, into fantasy, right? I mean, it's sure. aware of that. It's not it's not losing control of I don't reality. mind the parts of it that feel, you know, so intense that they can never happen in real life. It's the parts of it that are supposed to be like real life, like the scenes with Paul Reiser. And with, there was a scene where he has, like, dinner with family friends and he kind of gives them shit for being on the football team at college or something like that. And all of that feels, it, it's almost like any, as soon as it moves outside of the reality of the world it's created, it feels like a false move. Like it needs to just be within this kind of like pressure cooker situation. Mm -hmm. And I think of the way that Black Swan does it, where Natalie Portman goes home to Barbara Hershey in her apartment and it's all part of the same world and it's crazy and it doesn't make uh, any sense, but it all feels of a piece. I like that. I like that it's not, doing that what black swan does which is where this this obsession this craze follows her home and she starts having these hallucinations right his two worlds are very distinct the one where he wants to live and compete and be ferocious and this other world that doesn't understand his art doesn't understand why anyone would push themselves so far it only drives him crazier it only makes him more ferocious when he's back in the room and that's every artist's relationship with the real world with people in suits who go to their financial jobs and make millions of dollars and they're like scrounging for pennies and trying to feed themselves and they can't help it because they're obsessed they're driven and this is definitely a like millennial ambition movie in some way because this kid i mean why is he so crazy why does he have this obsession and it's what many kids struggle with today there's a there's a uh, an environment that we grow up in that says, be the best. You have to be the best that you can be. Um, but he's not going to be the best. He's not going to be Buddy Rich, but he believes he will. And he has to. And the only way we know that he thinks he can be Buddy Rich or he comes close to Buddy Rich is by having an outside world that just doesn't understand. 
right. Uh, if I, if I, I value don't... the outside world, I still like it. <laughs> and then the music I, I in the movie is so good. Justin Hurwitz, the composer. I think the music is, is – I was not particularly inspired by any of the music. I think – I didn't see any of the Wait, really? You didn't think the music was good? I think the scenes where he's playing are – Or what about the entire – I mean the entire band? You don't think those are good scenes? No, like, I, I, I don't really – You're not a jazz guy. I'm not can, a huge jazz guy. Don't be ashamed. Uh, I'm certainly like I don't understand. Go I don't know. And I wish the hates jazz <laughs> list. I, so I wish the movie. <laughs> I wish the movie would have clarified this. Uh, whether or not Whiplash is supposed to be like I understand it's something of a standard, but whether or not it's supposed to be a good song, if it's a respected song in the jazz community, because I think it's an awful song. And so <laughs> I, I'm not. Like that whole element was sort of lost on me. I just was so I was really bored by most of this movie. Once I understood, you know, which was immediately sort of the central relationship between these two characters, seeing them bat at each other uh, is good fun for five or ten minutes. But it never develops. There's no depth to it. It's all right there immediately. We've seen this before in other circumstances, and not until the movie dares to go a little bit, a little bit. Dark. I would. I did not for a second find its illustrations of his commitment convincing, uh, particularly. The more I don't know car crashy ones, and uh, and it it really isn't until that last scene where characters make pivotal decisions uh, that say a lot about their but I like that it feels like the final fight if that's the beginning of the movie and I can understand how it would be and I I I know what you're saying when you want this battle you want to see these two forces collide and perhaps for longer and see how they intrude in each other's lives but I like that this final showdown really is a final showdown like the Karate Kid or Rocky or something. It's extraordinary, and it builds to that moment. I mean, I was not bored during this movie, just to wrap up. I mean, like, uh, clearly, I was swept up. I called it explosive, and I think it's in the ads. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and, no, I, and I stand by that of quote someone more. in the ads and needing to go to bat for the movie, and now <laughs> no they realize way. it's mediocre. It's it says the I, greatest animated film of our time. Exactly. I, heard, I heard Richard uh, Ehrlich. Patches of uh, Vanity Fair said it was pretty good, so yeah. I have to take responsibility for it. Katie, take take the uh, middling response here. You're, I you're, mean, I would I would tell most people to see Whiplash, especially if you've ever played in band. I mean, I played in high school band, like in the least intense circumstances possible and I still related to this movie. I think Damien Chazelle is definitely someone to watch. I have liked Miles Teller for a long time and I think the idea that uh, J.K. Simmons has an Oscar campaign ahead of him is pretty valid. So if that's the kind of thing you care about, which I do, sorry David, (laughs) uh, that's interesting as well. It's all, you could do a lot worse at the movies these days than Whiplash. I will say that much. There you go. See? It's better than St. Vincent. Yeah. For a hundred minutes to kill if you're looking for something that will... uh, be sufficient uh yeah we, we can't, we're not able to talk about some movies quite yet that are coming out that are terrible but uh <laughs> <laughs> get people excited for the fall yeah this is a it's a teaser for forthcoming wow. fighting in the warm room episodes of uh being upset about things but in the meantime give whiplash a shot if it's in your city uh keep an eye on it damien chazelle miles teller jk simmons are all worth your time What was this week's lightning round question? You're kind of dragging on your delivery there. I know. Not quite my tempo. What was this week's lightning round question? Faster! Damn it! Just say it. All right. In honor of Robert Duvall and The Judge. Oh, yeah. The Judge. Hey, that movie's coming out. The Judge. I liked it. Uh, which living legend are you hoping can still put out one last great performance? One last great performance before what? Exactly. Uh, death. <laughs>
Oh, I believe geez. he did death. <laughs> Robert Duvall is in oh, his 80s. I've got one. Yeah, okay, do it, David. Go. I'll go with the world is round, Pupple. Exclamation point, exclamation point. It was at K-A-I underscore L-O-R. Who says, Maggie Chung, because I got to hold on to the hope that you will inevitably make a return to the cinemas one day. I can, you can hope. You can hope. Everyone. What a great actress. <laughs> I, re- I thought you said Hubble, and it was like a the way we were reference. I got Hubble. really confused with what you were talking about. Uh, Patches, what about you? Um, I am going to go with, oh, God. <laughs> There's so many. Um... Oh, I'm going to go with at movie dude 1893, who's uh, Jake Bielzabart. I don't think that's his real name, probably. But uh, he said, I'd like to see Gene Wilder give one last hilarious screen performance. So would I. What? All the other older comedians are playing like the dads of Seth Rogen. So Gene Wilder, he can be like Franco's dad in something. I, uh, a lot of people said Gene Wilder, and that was going to be my answer. So Oh, I stole it away. That. Well, the genes, Gene Wilder and Gene Hackman, really took over these answers, which yeah, I'm not surprised. People want Gene Hackman. I just, I'm sorry, everybody. I don't think that one's going to happen for I know. many reasons that I will not talk about. But um, well, well, then I'm going to stick <laughs> up for my ladies and say uh, Cece Spacek, who was in The Help and had a very small role in The Help, but clearly is being cast in things and is willing to work. But she seems perfectly capable of being in a lot of different things. She's in good health. She's still really talented. I feel like Sissy Spacek deserves her Meryl Streep moment to uh, do whatever the fuck she wants. So I hope that Mer- I hope that Sissy Spacek finds her thing to come back. She needs a Luke Besson vehicle. Yeah, like she needs Lucy to be in her two. own Lucy. Lucy comes back in Lucy too, but now she's Sissy Spacek. I'm I'm looking back and trying to find like the best, like the last good movie she was really in was. Uh, in the bedroom and that was more than 10 years ago wow what was her last movie uh deadfall i don't know what that is oh wait was that uh eric banna olivia wilde charlie hunnam yeah that movie kind of came out chris christopherson it's like a people liked it even i think someone should have answered chris christopherson while we were oh she was in the help she'll make another movie yeah, no, I'm not worried. That's the thing. It's like, Sissy Spacek, like, unlike Gene Hackman, I feel confident that she'll make another movie, and I feel like she's uh, she's due to come back. Lucy 2. Lucy 2, starring Sissy Spacek. Make it happen. Uh, that does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week, possibly to talk about a movie that everyone's hinting at that they don't like. So look forward to <laughs> Angry David and other things coming up in the I, future. I don't think it's going to be that bad. Uh, also, Birdman premieres at the New York Film Festival this weekend, so maybe we'll have that talk. That I think it comes out next week. That's true. We'll have a lot to talk about. It's the fall. Lots of good movies. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches. I write all over the internet, uh, and I try and put everything on mattpatches.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the editor-at-large of Little White Lies magazine. I also write for the Dissolve Complex, the AV Club, and others. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner. And I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fairs Hollywood or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. <laughs>